Welcome to the Afropolitan Podcast, hosted by Eche Emole, founder of Afropolitan. On the show, we chat with Afropolitans whose footprints form the foundation of systems dedicated to building the future of a bold and progressive Black community. In each episode, our guests share their working formulas, the hard facts about leaving familiar terrain, embracing the unknown, and staying relevant afterwards. Listen as we extract the blueprints of fearlessness, innovation, and progress. So you, so you know, so I play football, and this morning, mm-hmm. um, this morning, this morning, I played with my old group. I mean, because I've not been in nine years, I haven't played with them for a minute. So I played with them, yeah. and I scored. And wow. my normal celebration, my celebration is just a simple, just shake everybody. And then somebody was like, oh, I need to do the baby celebration. I was like, yeah, but I'm going to have to stretch my hand very wide. Because it's fun. It's always a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, man. No, but for, thank you for finding the time to do this podcast, for sure. Um, we, um, Come on. Come we, on. We, I mean, I, I already talked to you about like our strategy with the media, right? It's like we need to have media that speaks first. And for a lot exactly. of times, like, I, like I'm a big believer now in decentralized media, right? Like talk directly to your customers, let them know your philosophy, let them know your worldview, and then build distribution that way too. So if you can build in-house distribution through podcasting, which is also low-hanging fruit, right? Like, especially like with this yeah. tech that Ike has and his platform literally has been recording out. This can be posted today on the platform done. And for a long nice. time, you couldn't really do that with podcasts because um, they, 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 there's a lot more like complexity involved, right? But Ike has like so much experience in with audio. I don't know if you remember True Sports Audio back in the day, um, True Sport Radio back in the day, the internet radio station. Uh, he's he was the founder of that as well, so he definitely has experience. In... Okay, yeah. Can you can you Hello. hear me? What the like, yeah? Fine. Yeah, I can hear you. I feel like so I I so I, I dropped the app and and it, it kicked me out. So I'm just gonna have to keep the app open. <laughs> ah, this is an Android app, share. Uh, no, no. So it's it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's my first time using it, but, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? What do you think about about Clubhouse, though? Like, with what happened? What are your thoughts? Um, I don't think I don't think the so I I don't think the I don't think it's over. I don't think uh, I think it was still. This is like the the correction phase. Mm. Um. I think it was still. I think things will still pick up. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is this is the correction phase. Um, but look, um, audio, audio, at least audio, the way the way um, people are doing it now, the content creation uh, mode, where it's not just one sided, like you have in a podcast, um, where people are able to chime in, uh, and it's two ways or multiple ways because you have audience members who are engaging in real time. I think that is definitely um, created richer experiences for folks. Um, I, I just think it coincides with the period when people are over or getting over remote work and mm-hmm. I, I, I start to embrace face-to-face interactions again. 
So I feel like it's one of those things that will get back, would 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 probably stabilize as people get back to work. But mm-hmm. they realize they also like their online uh, friends and they like their their globalized um, conversations that they they were having. Because you yeah, know the perfect I, I, timing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was sorry, just a perfect storm. You know? mm-hmm. Being being trapped at home, you couldn't do any other thing. You couldn't see your other friends, and it was just an opportunity to kind of like connect with multiple people. So um, yeah. as people are going back to their people are going back to their old friends, their old lives, and all of that. I feel like at some point they'll be like, man, these people ain't shit. Let me go and meet my online friend. <laughs> Let me continue my online <laughs> Life is about balance too, right? So like, as you said, it's self-correct in both, in both ways for sure. That's definitely. But no, for like, to, to definitely have a proper introduction, I would like to welcome you to the Afropolitan Podcast. Uh, this is a show where we interview Afropolitans who are shaping the world and their innovative processes as well. Um, for... Welcome. Thank you, man. Again. Thank My you. My pleasure. My pleasure being here. So I wanted to start to give people a little bit of background, right? Can you talk about first how you got into tech and the transition to, because I feel like you, you've led all these programs from Google um, Google um, platforms and then the venture platform as well. How did you get started in those fields? Yeah. yeah. So I um I have I have a mix of the typical tech <laughs> typical tech story you know as a kid got bought a computer um started getting very intrigued with it um and then uh, the natural progression was to fig- try to figure out how this thing works and and whatnot um but I so I, I did start off early um mm-hmm. I did start off early my first tech tech um, engagements was actually in um, designs so. And I, I had strict parents, so I wasn't allowed to go to parties and all of that. But if you probably, if you went to parties um, from like, I don't know, from like 2000 to like 2006, there's a high chance that the invitation you held in your hand was designed, printed, done, all of that by me. So oh, wow. um, 2000, yeah, 2000, I was in like GS3. And then I started playing with like graphic software. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so by the time I got into senior school at the end of 2000, I started saying, oh, you know, all you guys are organizing parties, all the 1145, all mm-hmm. the, I remember 1145. All, mm-hmm. yeah, all the Bacos. Do, do you remember Bacos also? Yeah. Um, Bacos is actually what I've done to, um, um, I think 57 now. Anyway, all those parties mm-hmm. are like, you guys, your Ivy's suck, man. <laughs> uh, I can design better Ivy's. <laughs> Terrible and, uh, what I would do, what I would do then is I would find like I'll go into like all this um, magazines from from the US, from the UK at the time, mainly mm. from the US, and I'll try to like replicate their designs and um, I'll I'll take it as a contract, design, print, and then I'd also keep a few ID IVs and sell on the side too. They'll give me complimentary IVs for as part of my payment, like I'll, I'll collect money. But mm-hmm. I also tried to sell on the side because I wasn't allowed to go. Anyways, so that was like my first foray into tech. Um, and then when I finished um, secondary school, I, I mean, by pure chance, I was supposed to go study medicine. Um, that didn't pan out. Uh, sorry, did you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay, so I said by pure chance, mm-hmm. I was supposed to go study medicine mm-hmm. uh, while mm-hmm. I was waiting at home. I went to my uncle's um, computer training school where they were teaching like hardware and web development. This is like 2004. And I was very intrigued. 
and by some stroke of luck, well, it was unfortunate at the time I had, I had, um, I had something happen, so I couldn't travel. And then I spent that whole time just like learning about tech and learning about um, how computers work and the internet at, at a glance. I mind you, this is the time. So we had the computer training school, but they also had this uh, cyber cafe um, mm-hmm. business, which is like in the same in the same complex but a different shop. So uh, this was the time when you charge people like a thousand bucks to like check their emails and like two thousand naira to like open. Maybe not two thousand. Actually, I don't remember the amount. Maybe like one thousand naira. Or five. It was it was like the equivalent of charging somebody twenty k today. Yeah. To to like to like open a new email address and maybe like charging them the equivalent of like uh like like five thousand naira to help them check their email or something. So I, I don't remember the actual amount, but um, but that's how new the internet was at the time. So um, so yeah, so did all of that. Eventually changed my course to study computing. Um, eventually morphed from studying online um, full time to to doing a first degree online. So I actually have my first degree that was done online completely because I was working the whole time. Um, yeah, so that that was my background. That was my intro. Um, obviously, I've gone back to school a few times. I, I, I now have four degrees. Um, yes, in tech I, was, I was going to touch on that for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I've gone back to school a few times. Most of them were full-time degrees, not, not, not um, online. Um, but... But for me, part of the natural evolution, uh, and, and you kind of see that with tech people is you start off, you're passionate about um, computers, mm-hmm. you're passionate about technology, but you quickly re- realize that technology as itself is not what will change the world, mm-hmm. but technology is an enabler to, to whatever problem you're trying to solve. So with that mindset, yeah, exactly. Technology will basically help you amplify whatever problem you're trying to solve. So with that mindset, um, Moved into banking, uh, started building product and infrastructure for for commercial banks. Um, did that in investment banking also. Mm-hmm. Um, did that for finance house. Um, and then moved into consulting. All of this was tech, you know, the tech perspective. And then you do a tech, you offer a tech solution, then they ask you the commercials of it. And then you're like, ah, what's going on here? I don't understand the commercial. So I realized very quickly that I needed to get into the business world. And, um, so I, I started talking to like some mentors, like, how do I pivot? And mm-hmm. I remember one of my, my mentors, um, at the time I was like, yo, I, we're working in this bank together. He was head of investment banking. I was in the IT department and he told me there's a reason why you can never be CEO of this bank at, on, from where you are. It's because, um, they would always treat the people that make the money. Mm-hmm. over the people who help them make money. And so yeah. remember that in every moment. And I remember leaving that conversation thinking, I want to be CEO too. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I moved. Literally, that's how I moved into business. So when I had an opportunity, I went off for an MBA, um, came back and then started um, consulting, essentially consulting for for um, a tech company. Uh, mm-hmm. But at, the difference at that point was it allowed me to do full range. So it wasn't just the technology consulting. It was also the finance. It was also doing due diligence for um, M&A acquisitions that they were looking mm-hmm. at. So did that. And then 2016, I think, um, after I got married, um, it was just pure Nirvana. My mm-hmm. wife's boss at the time was talking about, um, you know, he he just told he told my wife, Oh, yo, I'd like to meet the guy you're getting married to. 
this is early 2016. We got married in June. Yeah. So this is probably like February, March. Like, yo, let me just meet the guy I'm getting married to. Ah, that's all my best stuff is getting married now. So I go and have a chat with the guy. It was supposed to be just normal. I went to pick her from work, actually. Mm. I said, okay, I'll come just before you close so I can pick you from work. Yeah. Yo, I think at the end, she had to like take, she had to like take a, a taxi and leave me in the office. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just hit it off so like that, yeah. We just hit it. Literally, we just hit it off like that. We spent a lot of time. Uh, you know who this person is. You don't realize it is, but it's Kolaino. Mm. So, mm. so, and that's essentially how, um, that's how my work with Ventures Platform started. So anyway, we shared ideas at the time. I was like, yo, I'm passionate about startups. Um, I'm affiliated with a few, um, at the time, passion incubator. Mm. Um, so they were doing non-cash support at the time they were, mm-hmm. they were getting equity from startup, but not cash. Essentially they treated, they, they'll treat the startups like an extra co-founder. So they'll do BD for you, do open doors, spend time on, mm-hmm. on parts of your business. Um, but he was trying to set up ventures platforms. So he was like, yo, mm-hmm. I built this fantastic building in Abuja, nice container stuff. Oh, I'm building. Uh, I'd need a team. I was like, yo, yeah, team is nice. Now I was telling where to hire people from, what to look for. And people should hire. It's like you. And then I bro. go, <laughs> no, the, the thing is, in all honesty, it wasn't even mm. me. It was, he wasn't mm. even thinking of me. It was, so at the time I was working for a company called Ventures, um, Venture Garden Group. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the parent company before Ventures Platform is a company called Emerging Platform. So okay. VGG and EP, um, were direct competitors and mm. um, there was like heated competition. It's kind of like you're working in Bain and you're talking to a McKinsey partner. Yeah. Do you get that? Kind of, that's how it was. So, I mean, I could leave, but it wouldn't be, I could leave, but it, it wouldn't have been without um, small controversy because I was also, I was, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was pretty senior at um, VGG also. So anyway, that happened and I got married, got back to my honeymoon. And I was like, yo, I really want to work with startups. So I hit him up like, yo, I'm back in town. Or he's like, ah, come by, come by the office. Um, I, don't know, I called me like a Wednesday. Like, come by the office on mon- next week, Monday. Uh, let's chat. Mm-hmm. So I get there. I see people wearing suits and all that by the reception. Me, I'm wearing like, my, I'm just, I'm on, I just got back from honeymoon. I was like, I'm chill. I'm mm-hmm. wearing like a polo shirt, like jeans and sneakers. I think I even had a face cap or something. So I walked past all the people wearing jeans and shirt. Um, I walked to the second part of the reception. I grab a GQ magazine or whatever magazine they had and start cross my leg. And I'm like, yo, you guys sell drinks here? <laughs> so I'm so chilled <laughs> and all that. Then like 10 minutes later, they call me like, yo, oh, Mr. K is ready for you. I'm like, okay, cool. Where? I go in and I see homie sitting down with like three other people. It's like a panel. So mm. in my mind, I'm like, ah, what's going on here? <laughs> So literally, literally, it turns out that it was an interview and all the other people were sitting outside with suits and holding their CVs were there for the same interview. Are and, you and serious? That's why I laugh. I'm telling you. So that, that's essentially how I got into like core startup support. Because we were, so they were asking me questions. I mean, I was treating it like a fact-finding journey. Like, oh, oh you guys want to know? So yeah, like, how would you do this company? I was like, oh, this, is, this are my thoughts. I've been thinking about this. And then at some point, they're like, okay, so when, if you had to start where can you start? I said, I'm not looking for work. Literally, I told Then <laughs> I remember one of the people at the panel, he was so pissed. I was like, so why are you here? I turned that <laughs> caller. I'm like, oh, why am I here? <laughs> I just came to this caller. So, oh um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I left there. I went uh, to grab lunch at the restaurant. Um, caller's PA meets me there. She, I mean, she came to buy lunch there also. And then she's like, yo, 
I don't know what confusion you just caused there, but I think they're going to call you back. I was like, well, their luck. Long and short, uh, that's pretty much how I started um, startup support. So Ventures Platform, we set up an incubator mm-hmm. first, early stage. And then obviously reading the market, it was an uphill task, you know, setting up an incubation program from scratch in Abuja when the whole world was talking about Lagos and Yamba. Yeah. But we were kind of, so, trying to prove a model that it can work. Sorry, so, so, no, no, that's why I wanted to even transition into. So how would you then describe the evolution of the tech ecosystem in Nigeria? And, and what, what are the, the major points you would point to that are like pre this major point and then post this major point? So, so we've had multiple inflection points. Um, when mm-hmm. when you think about when you think about the way tech um, has evolved in in Nigeria, so I mean, I come from like pedigree of proper proper software um, and hardware mm-hmm. engineering, like watching my dad build and assemble computers to mm-hmm. being able to assemble, and I'm talking like the mid to mid nineties. To assembling computers myself, to Omatech and and um, and Zynox and and the likes, um, building to Computer Village, um, starting off properly, you know. And then you have like the, the tech ecosystem that we know today, um, probably 10, 12 years from them. CC Hub setting up shop where it was more like a, a hobbyist um, association of guys who would just come after work and hang out. Um, mm-hmm. So the first wave of them, of them, Jumia, um, uh, of Paga, actually, of mm-hmm. them, Paga, yeah, Paga, Conga, Jumia, um, Iroko, that, that wave of entrepreneurship. And, and that wave wasn't without its own um, accelerator incubation um, mm-hmm. hits because that's when you had them, uh, 440 Labs, um, mm-hmm. that's when you had Elite Path, um, uh, uh, and... Uh, and uh, and I'm sure you know that Easy was in one of those accelerators at the yeah, time, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then the Piggy Vest guys were also in one of those accelerators, but as push CV at the time. So you you mm-hmm. have that wave, and then you have the current wave. I think some of the significant pointers, and and or rather the most significant pointer I see that has changed is mm-hmm. kind of like it's now a founders market. So um, when you think about capital, when you think about user base um, and uh, and knowledge sharing and 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 customer education, um, the founders are now in the front seat driving it. Before now, mm-hmm. it was a lot of we have to support these people, we have to help them, and so you could also dictate the terms of your help. You could summon a founder, tell them come and sit down in my office for mm-hmm. one month, otherwise I'll, I'll not give you. 20k check <laughs> or, or 20k check for 15 percent equity sorry i said right now if you if you if you try that the founder will just put out a tweet <laughs> and, uh, and you'll raise uh, the money options yeah. raise money but also they, they can tell you to go screw yourself you know so yeah. um but it's not just for fundraising it's also for user information Founders mm-hmm. are not at the point where they can take them them their product to the markets themselves. Yeah. Um yeah. they can sell what they're selling and they can mm-hmm. gather insights from the markets in real time. So I think that that yeah. is the significant change. Yeah, lo- lo- lower lower barrier lower barrier of, of entry for sure. So then exactly. so then by the, by the way, mm-hmm. Fola, I realized that I didn't even congratulate you um about the Bet King announcement to the multi I wanted to congratulate you. Also, congratulating Gossi <laughs> as well, but it's a definitely a huge achievement. Can you talk about your transition to like head of Bet King and 
what are the insights you've learned from the Lotto business in Nigeria that you might not have been aware of before you joined? Oh, absolutely. So first of all, thank you. Um, so I don't know when this airs, but um, well, whatever it is, it's going to be in the future. So I've, I transitioned yes. out of my veteran role um, actually okay. last week. So okay. the end oh, of wow. week was... Okay. But yeah, but it's still, obviously, there's still a lot of, um, not to take away heat. I mean, I don't think I'll take away heat from the announcement that's being made, but part of, part of the... Actually, actually let's, let's, let's let our listeners, let's let our listeners even know what the announcement was. Um, I think, uh, do, you, do you mind, do you mind sharing it with our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the, the announcement was um, pretty much a 250, 250 odd uh, million investment um, into Bed King um, for an additional, well, I mean, in, in, in some total for an additional 29% of mm-hmm. the company. So last yeah. year, um, the multi-choice group, um, who are the owners of DSTV, um, pretty much the biggest um, satellite TV brand in on, on the continent and, um, and a, a global player also. So they, they, they purchased 20% holding of Bed King um, for 80 million direct and mm-hmm. about 31 million um, based on some other conditions. Um, so that, that deal was worth about 110, 111 million at the time. But last yeah. year, they also announced a further purchase between by multi-choice group and some of their subsidiaries on extra um, 29%. So their ownership of Bed King now is about 49%. So mm-hmm. um, it's not a controlling stake yet. But they are the majority um, shareholders right now, but it's not a controlling stake yet. But more importantly, yeah. um, it just shows that um, there's also space for mm-hmm. uh, entertainment and um, and gaming in the in in kind of like the the tech ecosystem. Let's call it that. Um, mm. Basically, what what has happened was, um, I mean. The, People look at this, the gambling, the gaming, the entertainment space, and they oftentimes think, oh, um, it's it's a space that they're either just printing money or they think mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's full of blue-collar folks that are being exploited. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I mean, for me, leaving, leaving Google and, and going in there to, to kind of like build products properly, it's back mm-hmm. to that point I made earlier about tech being an enabler irrespective of the sector. That, uh, yeah. that you're in. So, for context, my role at Fed King was as the head of um, Lotto King. Uh, Lotto King was the second brand under the Kingmakers group. So, Bet King is the betting brand that has done very well. And Lotto King was kind of like the second um, product offering that they were, they were um, going into. So, I set up um, the infrastructure, the people, um, the company essentially um, from from an idea to a product that was that is ready to launch at this point. Um, yeah, so my, my transition and some of the things I've seen, uh, you know, just understanding people's trends and, and the way people um, approach products. So as part of the things I do on the side, I teach product development. And, mm-hmm. you know, gone are the days where you had the waterfall mo- mo- model of um, software or product development where you just have an idea you think about it and then you build and then you get to the end and you ask for feedback. Right now, you build on your way down or, or your way up. Let's mm. be, let's be just, uh, you build as you go on. You know, you you approach the market, you listen to the market, you listen to what people are asking for and you build. You try to understand customer trends and you build. Um, betting is one of those, um, or sports betting, is one of those sectors that 
you can, you know, as a whole, you can either differentiate on product or you differentiate on marketing. So sports mm. betting is one of those places where you differentiate on marketing. Um, mm. Because the product often needs to be great, but because yes. there's such a low, there's such low customer loyalty, it doesn't mm-hmm. cost a, a customer anything. I mean, obviously, except they have a wallet system, but it doesn't yeah. cost the customer anything to move from to switch. Betting to yeah. betting like that, you know, to, so mm-hmm. the switching cost is significantly low. So what you want to do is you want to find other things that um, that uh, entice the customers, that attract them, that excites them also, that keeps them uh, motivated to your brand. Um, and, and so that's what we that's what we did at Betking uh, and and um, took three and a half years to become a unicorn. So I guess when when the timing is right, they will tell their story mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. But um, but uh, that is truly impressive for any type of company. Um, talk less of a betting company. Definitely, definitely. So then let's transition to because you're also the founder of Kickoff Africa. I didn't know if you, if you had announced that yet, okay. but I think th- this is going to um, <laughs> I am. air in the future. So we might as well address it now. <laughs> what, what would you say is yeah. the investment philosophy for Kickoff Africa when it comes to backing founders and just their investment philosophy in general, really? So, um, so yeah, I am, I am uh, the founding partner at Kickoff Africa. Um, so Kickoff is really a mix of of everything that I've done up until this point. So mm-hmm. uh, kick, kickoff is three things. Kickoff invests. So quick uh, capital, um, quick decision-making, quick um, turnaround time. Uh, kickoff is also um, placement. So we have something called a bench where mm-hmm. we have an expert marketplace where we connect, um, we connect founding teams to experts who they otherwise might not have um, access to, access to, um, or mm-hmm. cannot afford. Yeah, and then the third is kickoff is training. So we have specialized training for very unique stuff. So whether it's leadership, whether it's operations, whether it's product, um, um, kickoff offers trainings for that. So um, mm-hmm. in terms of our investment thesis, I I strongly believe in um, in uh, the apprenticeship approach to. Um, building businesses. So mm-hmm. I, I believe that you need to spend enough time understanding your problem, understanding mm-hmm. the space before you branch out. And so as a result, we're more, um, we're more um, disposed, favorably disposed towards um, repeat founders or founders who mm-hmm. have some domain experience. And because what mm-hmm. that does for you is when you have the domain experience, you're able to very quickly identify where the problems lie and what yeah. the most um, the, the best opportunities um, will be. So that's kind of like what we do at Kickoff. And and the goal is to really, um, you know, strip off the frills. You know, when you think about investing, you have two types mm-hmm. of investors. Well, you have multiple types of investors, but um, you have investors who say they're helpful and investors mm-hmm. who are actually helpful. That's, that's how mm-hmm. I want to down. So if you're doing anything that doesn't help the founder, you're not being helpful. Yeah. If you're doing anything that's not serving, you're not being helpful. And if you're doing anything that's helpful, you're being helpful. I mean, it sounds very simplistic, but that's the way I think about it. So obviously writing it, everybody crosses that first level helpfulness. But then um, investors who claim to be helpful and just ghost you or start to give you extra work, that's not. 
So mm. I haven't spent a lot of time with founders. Um, I've seen that one of the most important thing that they need is good people. Yeah. Um, I've seen that they, 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 they clamor for good people all the time. They're like, people are hard to find, partners are hard to find, employees are hard to find. In fact, one of the favorite things I like about Shola, the Paystack CEO, mm-hmm. is I've known Shola mm-hmm. for a long time, um, mm-hmm. but I've also known him on this journey of Paystack pretty much from the early days. And mm-hmm. consistently, from then up to tomorrow, every time I see Shola, Shola is asking me about um, who do I know that I can hire for this role? Who do I know I can mm-hmm. hire for that role? You know, so um, so that and, and he seems to he it. seems to always want the best people, right? Like he doesn't. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He, he, he wants the best the people for each role. The type of people Shola has asked me about. I, sometimes I just open my mouth like this boy. You know they fear. Like imagine like <laughs> imagine looking like an international part, uh, international firm and asking, mm. "Do you think I can hire their partner?" You know, or looking yeah. at the company and saying, "Do you think I can hire their CEO to come and lead our product team?" And he's done it. I mean, he's mm-hmm. done it over time. And, and and so you know, when you look at that kind of model, and and the same thing with GB, to be honest, the same thing with mm-hmm. um, Tayo at Paga, the same thing with uh, yeah. Mitchell at Nintendo Switch. Um, this mm-hmm. these guys are consistently looking at asking how do I find the best people that would join the team that would that would build this uh, vision together. So, um, so that's that's kind of like the, the the way I think about helpfulness and mm-hmm. and some of the things that I'm skilled to do, which is essentially finding people and saying, okay, this is a, this is the best person that can help you do whatever you want to do. So that's kind of I, what people uh, thought. And and if you can speak a little bit more to how Kickoff differentiates itself from the rest of the funds and in the ecosystem, and I think because it it seems to me like Kickoff has a lot more product minded people in the in the management system, or or, or what, what would you what would you what would you so, say to that? So yes and no. So I, it's mm-hmm. not a. In fact, actually, I would say no. It's not more product minded people. It's more um, we, we like to think of ourselves as connectors. And so when okay. you think about the partnership of, um, the partnership layer of kickoff, everybody there is, um, is a hub in some way. Mm-hmm. So everybody, there is somebody who in their own ecosystems that others, um, um, are, are centered around in, in a good way. So, um, and, and, and that would help me answer your question as to differentiation. Um, so we think about it like, okay, we can write you a check. Everybody can write you a check. In fact, we want everybody to write you a check. But when everybody writes you a check and you say, oh, I need um, I need somebody who has done, uh, you know, when you send your investor updates and you say, uh, we're looking for a head of sales, we're looking for a head of operations, somebody that sold B2B in East Africa, for example. What Kickoff does with our bench is that we just look at our experts and we say, okay, of these people, it's like an internal job board, you know, and we say of these people who have, who has experience that uh, our startups need. Uh, and we hope that we're able to provide that at a fraction of the cost uh, that doesn't come to us, goes to the experts directly. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you think about it, like I've seen mentorship work um, mm-hmm. and some of the best mentorship models I've seen are the types that cost both the founders and the mentors something. So rather than just saying that, oh, free time to chill. Um, you see it as time spent um, working on an outcomes-based project with a startup. 
So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like our core differentiator. We, we get people, and also the training component, uh, because we're all passionate. Uh, the partners were all very passionate about educating founders and educating mm-hmm. people generally. Um, we offer both cohort-based and individual um, trainings for for the for the founding teams and the leadership of the startups that that we invest in. So so for us, I think it started from the conversation of capital is cheap. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're slowly getting to where uh, saying I have money to invest alone is not going to get you a seat at the table. And so you have to be able to make other things. And, and for us, it's one, the connection um, through the expert bench and to the training. Okay. I, I like that. I like that. So then let's talk about the cryptocurrency ban in Nigeria. First, what are your thoughts about yes, crypto? And what Love it. did you feel about the ban itself? Um, so, you know, I, I remember we had, we had a, a session in uh, one of the Republican, um, groups when, when the ban was still fresh, mm-hmm. uh, the ban is senseless, you know, uh, you know, as, 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 as we're seeing with the government, once they don't understand something or, or it doesn't work the way they want mm-hmm. it to, the first reaction is to, to ban first, ask questions later. So that's a senseless move. Um, but it's ended up working in in our favor um has worked in our favor it's, it's so it's definitely slowed down adoption that i will say it's absolutely slowed down adoption um but it's worked in the favor of the crypto exchanges because it's allowed them almost build multiple product layers so before now they were pure exchange cash and cash out activity have good floats um right now they're able to one reduce their risk um, while still earning their their commission, so they don't have to keep huge floats. Uh, but more importantly, they are now mindful. You know, it's like going into it's like going into the world and initially being super naive and thinking, "Oh, this is all prim and proper." Because I mean, the crypto companies were were to the, to the moon basically, up and to the right, everybody. Um, but you're getting to the point whereby mm. they're cost correcting and saying that okay maybe um things will not always be rosy and how do we prepare for that um what we're now seeing is a second level of cryptocurrency companies um coming out of africa that are still getting huge traction but they're understanding their users more and they're having to build products that are tailored to their users more so um what that does is it will strengthen the local market so i i i I see the number of times Binance sends a notification that they've had, they will slow down their P2P product. But the mm-hmm. bundle guys, the buy coins guys are not slowing down their building because the difference is bundle, buy coins, Bitnob, Patricia, these guys have teams on ground. Yeah. So um, I, I see how it's benefiting the companies in the long run. It's growing pains because it's, it's, a, it's a clusterfuck that nobody wanted. But, but long long term, I think we'll be better off for it. Um, the first question around crypto and what do I think about crypto? I absolutely love um, the the premise of crypto, decentralized um, nature of it, and I'm providing an alternative to fiat. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think I think of it like most people think about is um, one a store of value and two a means of exchange. I've personally benefited. Um, having lived in two countries, I've benefited from using it not just as a store of value, but also mm-hmm. as a means of exchange. Um, all through last year and early this year, I would make money in Nigeria, 
could easily transfer from my crypto account to my wallet. And when I need the money in a week or two, I will just sell in into my UK account. And it was similar yeah. like that. Um, and if you remember, you and I personally, part of the reason why I started um, asking for P2P people for money transfer was because mm-hmm. um, it was after the ban, you know. So yeah, before the yeah. ban, I'd lived in two countries um, just based on my crypto. So, I, and multiple people, you want to send somebody money in some remote country, uh, some remote island, you just send them crypto and it just works. So I, I still strongly believe in that uh, and I'm even excited to do some work in that space. I want to, as, a, as an aside, I want to personally invest in, in a crypto company. I haven't done mm-hmm. any yet, but I'm, I'm also looking forward to writing my first check for a crypto company. Well, well, which crypto companies have impressed you so far though? If, if you could speak to the ones that you've you're done. All of them. Okay. Um, so product-wise, and, and I say this mm-hmm. on, on um, I say this everywhere, product-wise, Bundle is the smoothest product I've used. And I've used them all. Like, in mm-hmm. terms of just user journey, uh, and Bundle was like the first, I mean, I downloaded Binance before, and I even had a joke about it on my Twitter, where mm-hmm. I put like a picture of a cockpit. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is how it feels like. <laughs> When, yeah. <laughs> when you open Binance and that, that, that shit went viral for a bit. But um, for bundle, bundle from a user experience standpoint is just smooth. Um, now, buy coins from a um, commitment to educating the user standpoint. Um, I think the the team led by Timmy and, um, and uh, somebody I'll call out, especially Tejo, um, are really committed mm-hmm. to like educating users about crypto, and and I see the way they, they they offer documentation for their new products and whatnot. And that's really good. Um, the Bitnob guys are doing amazing because they're like one of the first to offer uh, crypto backed fiat loans. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I think that is a product that I personally would have used. Uh, you know you know how you count your crypto. You're like oh, I shouldn't have sold. The market went ten x or twenty x. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a product that definitely the market needs and needed. So. Um, they've impressed me that they, they've been able to pull that off quickly. Um, let me see, Patricia. Patricia grew very fast, very young team um, that, that have grown very fast, very, very quickly, um, served their niche market, uh, but they've grown very fast and you can't take it away from there. Even Paxful. Uh, Paxful mm. with their American... Ray. Yeah, so I mean, the Ray with the Paxful guys, they're very passionate about the country. They're constantly selling the country mm-hmm. um and even just beyond this crypto ban period ray has always been somebody who's very excited about um you know just telling the story of crypto in africa and portraying nigeria in positive light and I, i'm very so these are five crypto companies um, that off the top of my head i can mm-hmm. think of as doing amazing work and uh, i would be very happy to have a slice in any of them definitely so far let me ask you what role do you believe like culture plays in First of all, startups, but specifically in the Nigerian startup system, because from my perspective, having worked in some of them or been around some of them, I, I always feel like culture is something that they ignore till they have to face it. So what role would you feel like culture plays in, in the startup ecosystem, the culture of the company? So culture is um, culture is important irrespective of where you're building your, um, mm-hmm. your company. And I think just being mindful of that, 
um, helps set the stage for founders. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned, like, I mean, your observation, spending time with um, Nigerian, um, uh, spending time with uh, Nigerian companies and whatnot. I've also spent a lot of time with, um, with um, companies. So I did my, I actually did my first dissertation, my first master's on, uh, second master, sorry, on, on culture for Nigeria startups. Um, so I've spent probably the last seven, eight years or so just studying. And you're right. What you see happen is a, a founding team assemble and they're like, okay, these are things we want to do and this is what we want to be known for. And then they just go to bed. And as with most things, if you're not deliberate about it, it wouldn't happen. So um, I think culture goes beyond what you put on your deck. Culture goes beyond um, what you tweet about. But it's in the small things and the way you handle small things. So part of what I uh, teach uh, when, I, when I talk to founders or when I teach founders um, in, in a training session is there's, some, there's a concept of hyperbolic discounting mm-hmm. where we essentially put things that um, that that we put things that are right in front of us. We prioritize thinking about this and we are more deliberate. Um, mm-hmm. And then if something is further down the line, we spend a lot less time thinking about it um, because mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, when we get there, we'll figure it out. Um, and and to, to explain this concept, I usually give the example of, um, would, would you rather, if I said, okay, $100 today, or $120 in a week, which option would you think? You know, yeah. $100 today versus 120 in a week. You think, ah, today versus seven days. You think, you think, you think. Some people would say today. Some people would say in a week. I don't, I don't mind in a week. But if I say, okay, $100 in 52 weeks, which is a year, mm-hmm. or $100 mm-hmm. in 53 weeks, which is a year and a week, almost everybody says, you know, what, 53 weeks. Uh, and they say it very quickly, like, ah, if I've waited one year, I might as well wait another day. And they don't think about all oh, their needs or any other factor. They just think in that moment, um, I've waited this long, I'll wait an extra one week. And so mm. it's the same way in startups. We prioritize the things that affect us today. So deadlines, product launch, investor meetings, all of that is today. So you think harder about it. You think about multiple factors. You factor everybody's mm. timeline, their emotions and all of that. But when it's culture, when it's handling, uh, resolving conflict, when it's talking to people about behavioral traits, um, when it's handling disagreements or, or people-related stuff, you'll be like, yeah, 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 we'll figure it out in the future. And so what tends to happen is you build a, a culture, unknowingly build a culture where um, you're not deliberate about these things. And um, mm-hmm. if you're not deliberate, about it, you're, you're just going to build a toxic culture. Be- just because the the nature of human beings, um, mm-hmm. if left to their vices, human beings will, by default, just be nasty. So so that's, that's just the way I think about culture, that people have to be a lot more deliberate um, about their culture. And they need to be deliberate from, from the get-go. So they need to very explicitly state um, that these are the things that we do and then do it. It's not so much about talking about it. Uh, it's about mm-hmm. doing it in the everyday um, things that happen, in the everyday things that happen. Um, I, I see founders also, they want to wait till there's a big defining moment and mm-hmm. they want to now act. But it's not just until you have a crisis or until you have a big press moment. The way you handle tardiness meetings, 
the way you handle unprofessional conduct, the way you handle harassment, you know, the way you handle heckling each other, um, the way you handle um, levels, leveling, and 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 and, and uh, the way the, the way you basically the way you handle everything. That's that's your culture. Mm-hmm. It's not just um, it's not just until you have a big moment and you say, okay, how do we treat our employees in that big moment? It's every day. So um, I think a lot more founders need to to spend more time being mm-hmm. more deliberate. It also has to do with the founding team themselves. So, mm-hmm. you, and that's, always, that's what I was going to ask you. What would, what advice would you give then to founders about selecting so, their founding team, their, their, their team, and also their co-founders as well? Also, I, I mean, I'll get to that in a second. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I can answer that. So, yeah. you think about co-founding teams, um, the way you think about relationships, uh, and this is pretty much what everybody says. <laughs> you think about it, um, who would you rather, if you had to spend the rest of your life, or at least mm-hmm. the next five to 10 years with somebody, who would you rather it be? Um, would you want to work with this person? Would you be comfortable being affiliated and all of that? And so you should try to understand the person just beyond the skill set. Um, but the skill set is very important. In fact, that should be the first basis of the conversation that do we have mm-hmm. complementary skill set? Um, where this person can pull their weight and bring something mm-hmm. to the table that otherwise we wouldn't have had um, just so that we can feel the impact of the person. Um, and the, what I've seen is when you're starting out in business, the natural thing you want to do is you want to start with somebody you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And But but the, the most risky businesses are started with friends and close, close friends and family. It's sad, mm-hmm. but that's the reality just because um, if things break, you guys would, there'll be a huge chance of, you know, um, the relationship beyond work breaking. So most of those type of relationships usually hang on the thin, thin thread. Uh, the best type of co-founding team, are people who have worked together in the past. So whether they've worked as colleagues in an office or they've worked on a project before, but they are affiliated, their affiliation is more from a work. I've seen their working style. I've seen them. Um, and so I encourage founders that look, when you want to start your team, yes, it's good to want to start with your friend, but also mm-hmm. look for people who you worked with in the past, who you know their personality type, but you also know their their output quality. You can say, okay, this person will pull their weight in sales. This people will sell the hell out of this thing. Or this person will build the hell out of this technology. Or this mm-hmm. person would... Um, and do the operations to a maximum. And so that's what I think about. The other thing I was going to say earlier on, about, on uh, to end the culture point was a lot of the businesses that we see today have required, mm-hmm. at some point required, uh, I call it adulting as a service. <laughs> yeah, just, just, I'm serious. Just bringing in mature mm-hmm. maturity, mm-hmm. whether you call it coaching, um, whether, you, whether it's leadership, uh, strengthening the leadership team, whether it's mm-hmm. um, essentially just just some maturity, I mean, and and mm-hmm. and even some of the biggest companies in the world have had their phases. Whether it's Google uh, with mm-hmm. Eric Schmidt coming in, whether it's Facebook with um, Sheryl Sandberg coming mm-hmm. in, or whether it's Apple with um, uh, <laughs> with uh, Steve Jobs going to have his moment in the wild before coming <laughs> back. You know? So yeah. so. 
and, and when you even st- strap it down, but but you've also seen founders who have evolved into becoming um, more mature, more uh, solid leaders over time. Like Mark is mm-hmm. perhaps the most perfect example, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, mm-hmm. You know, founders who over time have just evolved into being that uh, leader. So what I encourage founders to do early on is don't have, don't be too, um, or rather have the self-awareness to know that there are things you know and things that you don't know. And there are mm-hmm. things that you know you don't know that you don't know. And and that's the worst place to be in. You know, operating in the blissful ignorance of not knowing things that can kill you. Because unlike yeah. uh unlike the movies <laughs> in, in startup land, what you don't know will kill you and will most will likely kill you. Kill for you. Real. you know, so, so, so then let, so me, I just, let me no, sorry, I wanted to need to finish the point. Go for it, go for it. No, no, what I wanted to ask was, it seems like in, in the startup ecosystem, there are times when some people start up their businesses with their friends, right? And their friends are probably generalists, right? But then as you start to scale, you might need some specialists to come in and your friends might not be able to scale with you. What would you say is the best way to navigate that situation at, at that point? Have, have you seen anything like that where, where people just can't, like they're good as a generalist, but when it comes to the specialization of the task or project that needs to be done, they're not the best person. So what would, advice would you give to the founder? Like, hey, how should you handle this type of situation? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you see that all the time. In fact, you always, you see that most times when the founding team is more than two people, there's, there's a high chance there's a generalist in there that two, three years down the line is going to feel, he or she is going to start feeling like, okay, um, what can mm-hmm. I do here? And so there's there's two core approaches that I, I've taken in the past. The first is to move as as generalist as a person is. There's always mm-hmm. going to be a role. Um, if the business is maturing, there's always going to be a role that suits. Maybe is where they where they started from, or mm-hmm. maybe it's a recent interest. So maybe it's a sales role. Part of the recording. Okay, I think he's yeah. back on. Ike, are you are you good? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, for, I think we can back up like thirty seconds yeah. and then and then go back. Yeah, so okay. we're talking about the, the generalist. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'll ask the question. Okay. So, for that, what are your thoughts on situations where a founder finds themselves where they've started a company but they're friends? Um, and their friends are generalists, right? But then now they need to transition yeah. into the specialists. What would, how should they navigate that situation with either maybe discussing with their friends? Does it come across as a demotion to their friend if they're bringing in the specialists, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I was saying that I've seen this play out two ways. Um, the first mm-hmm. way is most, most generalists um, are generalists out of necessity. So yeah. they start off from somewhere and then they realize, okay, we need to plug in multiple gaps. And then they start to plug in multiple gaps. Now, the more mm-hmm. you bring people in, uh, initially you bring in entry level or junior level people, then you bring middle level and then senior people, or you just bring senior people to build out their team. Um, I've seen two mm-hmm. ways um, that the, the generalist type function um, have have happened, especially if the generalist is a, a hardworking generous, generalist. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think the first caveat is if the, if this founder who's generalist is just faffing around, 
then you need to get rid of dead wood. I'm, I'm very vocal about mm-hmm. that. Everybody should pull their weight. So mm-hmm. if the person is fucking around, absolutely get rid of it. Mm. If the person yeah. is, if you don't have uh, an operations lead, um, uh, and this generalist is somebody who can pull all the operations together, it's always a natural fit to, you know, for them. move that person into the operations role. Um, but the other thing mm-hmm. I was going to say was, um, because most generalists um, have, will still have something that excites them. So whether it's um, mm-hmm. they, they like the marketing aspect, they like the sales aspect, or they like product or whatever, you can typically move them into something that excites them the most. And you can have that very practical conversation that, look, um, we need to take away some of your powers, quote and unquote, but we need to now mm-hmm. consolidate all of that in one aspect of the business where we feel you'll be most effective because we're getting to the point where we can't afford to have people stretch thin, you know? And it's all about yeah. communication. It's it's the way you frame mm-hmm. it so that the person sees that, look, at this point, it's no longer about our egos or about us. It's about what's good for the business. And if there's a proven leader who can do this, which would be great for the business, then let's do that. That's the first way. The second way is... Um, sometimes the hardest, um, but it's sometimes the most practical. So there's a concept of um, team roles. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Belbin's team roles. So mm-hmm. there's essentially 10 team roles that a person can play on a, on a, on a team. So it starts mm-hmm. from plants. It's the person who gives idea to resource investigator, to, um, to specialist, to completer, finisher, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to a team member. So there's, there's 10, 10 roles. And having that practical understanding that sometimes your role is a plant, which is you're the one who gives the first set of ideas, who gives his first life um, to get things started. And you're, you're, um, you're, once there's some stability, your uh, impact might be better served elsewhere. And for most yeah. people who are plants, they know they know that um, they are plants where they're, they're great at giving that initial idea and fighting for stuff and, and just launching it at all costs. Um, but when it's time to be a, a, an implementer or a completer finisher or a specialist, uh, and well, by the way, so an implementer is somebody who takes the idea off of a plant mm-hmm. and, and just builds something. A completer mm-hmm. finisher is somebody who's um, very... Um, details. It's almost like the Q&A because they're the ones who close things out and make sure that everything is right while a specialist is just good at one thing. So you can have a completer finisher who's a completer mm-hmm. finisher across 10 different things but a specialist is just specialist on one. Um, and then you have other roles uh, that are more focused on uh, teamwork and whatnot. So uh, so the, the second approach is to tell the person, look, I acknowledge that you're a client, you're an implementer but at this point, we need specialists, we need completer finishers who are going to drive this thing deep. And so um, you still have your equity in the business, but you might have to bounce or give them an option to sell um, um, the equity in the business if they want to. So essentially just having those two options where one, we can move you into a role that um, is specialist for one aspect, or you can just tell them, you know what, you want to move um, out because at every given time, even though, when you start out, your business is about you and maybe your friends and associates or whatnot. But the business has a life of its own and you always need to prioritize what's good for the business over everybody's sentiments. And that's just the mm-hmm. way I think about uh, about this. But and it plays out all the time. Yeah, it does. 
It does, definitely. But for that, I think we're already approaching the one-hour mark. And I think, I, I, like, I feel like we could talk for hours. That's just me, though. I feel like we could talk for <laughs> hours. But I really, truly yeah, appreciate you taking the time to do the podcast, bro. I, I, I like, the, the whole idea behind the podcast is, like, is, like, for a lot of, for a lot of times, right, these conversations happen internally and we don't bring it out to the public. And I think what we're trying to do is build that ecosystem and build that community really that connects the diaspora to the motherland and the talents that are involved as well. And I think when we have these sort of conversations, it allows us, it gives us an opportunity to go behind the minds of the people who are really helping shape our future. You know, and I, and I appreciate you for really coming on to the Afropolitan Podcast and I hope you have a great weekend, bro. My pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Definitely. Thanks for inviting definitely. me. I'm happy to be a part of this. Always, always.